0: Terry Crosby, Andy Steiger, Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect.
1: Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Terry, good to be with you guys you know one thing i've noticed about you is every time you do the intro yeah, yeah. you do the exact same hand movements oh you, yeah yeah you adjust your mic yeah, yeah. you adjust your computer <laughs> it, yeah, 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 yeah. it's really something it,
0: it's it's uh what do they call that just habit habit routine yeah routine yeah that's that's it I'm getting ready, dude. I'm I'm, I'm getting fired <laughs> he's up.
1: Getting, fired. He's getting ready for the show. I guess I guess yeah. It's like a boxer, like a stretching, getting right. a few right. yeah, yeah jabs ready. Like right? he's, he's ready to go. Terry, hey, what do you got for we,
0: us? We got some listeners out there, and once in a while they send a, a you know an article to us, and just thinking might want to share it. Yeah, good to know. You know, we always there yeah. There's people, few, one or two, three or four. All right.
1: Now, we actually got quite a few listeners. We, we appreciate you. We do. All over. We do. We do. And by the way, many of you have uh, done reviews of the podcast. Man, do we appreciate that. It has really helped us. Yes.
0: Yeah. Creative. Maybe
2: we should read off some of them sometime soon. Ooh, that's a good idea.
1: Yep.
0: yep. They're very encouraging. So, have you guys seen Top Gun? You better first. believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, it's an I just, 80s classic. I just watched it again two weeks ago since I have some time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's and, one of those classic '80 movies where you're like, oh, I want to show this to my kids. And then you're like, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so have you seen the new trailer for Top Gun 2? I have not. Oh. Get on it after this podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm serious, dude. That is something else. Anyway, that's about planes. So... This is about a six-year, four-year-old man. That a a, 64 year
1: sixty-four-year-old man. Yeah, yeah.
0: His coworkers thought it would be fun for him to go into on a ride in a F-18. Okay, he's not too happy about it.
1: Well, I hear like this is like in Russia. I hear you can pay for those sorts of experiences. Yeah, that's
0: exactly what it was. Right, he's feeling very uncomfortable about this. I would toss my cookies hard.
2: (laughs) Hard. Not excited about it. Roller coasters are hard
1: enough for me to deal with.
0: I guess just sitting in the plane, his heartbeat was up to like 140 or 150 or something (laughs) like that already. Not even going. Just standing there, right? Yeah. So they get going. They're up at about 24, 2,600 feet. The the pilot decides to climb at a real steep pace. He gets really uncomfortable (laughs) and lunges to grab onto something. He hits the
1: ejection seat. No, he Oh, <laughs> no. No, he doesn't. Is there a video of this?
0: There's a picture. Okay. <laughs> the plane's flying off while he's coming down in the parachute.
1: So,
2: oh, can my you word. imagine?
1: No. What you're, a surprise. You're, you're going up, too. So, you're, like, yeah. ejected yeah. sideways. sideways. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he... <laughs> you have to clean your shorts after that. I'm telling you right <laughs> yeah. now.
0: Not only did he fly in an F-18, but he got ejected from the plane. Landed safely, pilot landed safely, everything was okay. He went to the doctors and stuff, but what a rush!
3: Wow, (laughs) like,
0: why would they put the ejection seat? Yeah, yeah, whatever it is button so close to where somebody can grab. I just don't understand that. But he had a fun ride.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, we're doing part two of part two, Rhett and Link's deconstruction. Uh, last week we looked at Rhett's, so if you are wondering what on earth are they talking about, you might want to go back a week, listen to that, that episode. What we talked about, or what we are talking about, is these two YouTubers, podcasters that are widely listened to. They once worked for Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and then lost their faith. And so both of them take about an hour and 40 minutes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to tell you that uh, entire story. Now, it just so happened that I'm doing work projects around the house and made the horrible mistake of painting spindles, so I actually listened to both of those podcasts while I was painting. You guys uh, <laughs> had to sit down for an hour for you. Yep. It was... It uh, yeah. That's when you create a work project. Okay. So, to be honest with you, I didn't find Rhett's story... I found it pretty pretty typical in many ways. One of the things that's unique about it, though, it's not your classic angry atheist sort of deconstruction. It's a very reasoned, charitable deconstruction story. And I think that's one of the things that makes it powerful mm-hmm. and difficult to understand and to reckon with and, and sad. Link's uh, is, is the same way. Now, Link, however, doesn't spend as much time as Rhett does on evidence base. And so, in the reality is, as we're going to look into, the, the evidence wasn't as crucial. However, he did get into the evidence, but because Rhett goes into the evidence, he decides not to talk about it out. It. Yeah. So he, he doesn't talk about the evidence. However, you know, he's going to talk more about experience and, and we're going to go there in a moment. But before we do, I did just want to take a moment, though, to play a clip for you here from the show where he does address an aspect of the evidence. And what he's going to share is something I hear often. I want to share this, guys, and then let's chat about what he says here.
3: You know, when you read Francis Collins, The Language of God in 2006, I also read that. And I was like, yeah, it's like, I'm convinced in the validity of evolution. And I remember, I remember an una- una- unintended consequence of reading that book was I just had this sense and we discussed it that, that there was an island with God on it and it was shrinking as science discovered more and more and it would le- ultimately lead to a place where whoop, the, the waters of science would cover the top of the island and there would be no more God.
1: So guys, what's your response to that? This idea that science is just slowly
2: covering up the island until the point where God's no longer there. That sounds to me like a very classic God of the gaps argument, right? So the idea is that we have been using throughout our lives, throughout our history, we've been using God to plug the gaps in our knowledge and so when science comes along we start plugging those gaps more and more with science and there is less and less room for god so for example we used to believe as the story goes that rain was the sign that the gods were crying or the thunder was you know zeus getting angry or or something along those lines well we know how our weather system works on Earth. And so we don't really need to use God or gods to explain those things anymore. So then there's less and less room for, for the deities as science advances. That's what I hear. Of course, the assumption there is that God and science or religion and science, however you want to put it, are mutually exclusive. And I just don't buy that.
0: Yeah, this is such a, a common idea, I think, in our culture, um, that science and religion can't come together. This is really hard to listen to, honestly, because we don't think that way at all, because they can merge and they can come together. They do all the time. All the time.
1: I absolutely agree. And it's interesting, you often hear this whole, you know, God of the Gaps sort of argument, like you're mentioning there, Steve. You also get atheism of the Gaps, though, that I encounter with people all the time. And in fact you know, listening to Link, you know, share this, this to me is very much just scientism 101. And and by that, I mean this idea of scientism, which is so pervasive in our culture today, Is just simply this idea that science can and will answer all of life's questions. that There is nothing that science can't answer. Uh, but the reality is, is that there is tons of things that science can't answer. Many of those things um, – for example, are things like purpose. Science has no means of getting at or accessing ideas of purpose. So, for example, if you wanted to learn a foreign language, for example, and you could only use physics to do so, you would never learn that language. Physics has no capability to understand or to access the meaning of a word, for example. And by that, I mean you you could study the physical constitution of letters and words. You could study the paper they're on, or you could study, you know, whatever physical object that they're written on or that they're communicated through, whether that's sound waves or whatever. But there's nothing inherent in physical parts and physical laws that would ever help you to arrive at what that word's meaning is. And that's because meaning or purpose is something that persons give to things. And in doing so, it is outside of physical laws. It's human laws. Now, here's the funny part about this, and this is the point that I want to get to, is in shrinking that island in that way, notice that it's not just God that's on the island. You and I are on that island. This is an aspect of scientism and an aspect of our culture that is often overlooked and in both Rhett and Link's account, this is completely absent. And that is, what are the implications of a belief system when you begin to remove God from it. And now all I have access to is science to try to attempt to explain these sorts of things. And science isn't capable of explaining what a person is. See, for me as a young guy, I saw the world, what happens when I remove God out of the picture, and I see how it removes things like purpose out of the picture and meaning and value out of the picture, how it removes personhood from the picture. And so for me, coming to God was because I recognized that those things were real. I am convinced that there is such thing as purpose. Mm -hmm. I am convinced that there's meaning and there's value in the world. And all of a sudden, that island that was, for me, the island was shrunk. I was trying to stay afloat. You know, I'm trying to tread water and for me, as I start bringing God into the picture, the water starts to recede and the the land starts to come up. You know, everything's starting to make more sense as the world starts to open up. At least that's how it happened for me.
2: Yeah, and ironically enough, when you remove purpose from the picture, I mean, what Rhett and Link are doing doesn't even make sense. I mean, they're in the business of communicating but what does communication entail? Well, it, it entails this telos, this this end, this purpose, because you don't just communicate. Purpose is built into the very concept of communication. You communicate for the purpose of something. Right? You're trying to get your meaning across, right? That is the most basic purpose of communication. And so when you remove that from the picture, even what they are doing as their vocation, it just becomes meaningless. But I don't think they actually believe that. No, and I think that's one of the reasons why
1: they're hopeful agnostics. At least Rhett is, Link Link is more unsure.
0: Agnostic that wants to be hopeful.
1: That's what he said. A little
0: play on Rhett's <laughs> kind of thing, right? But I found it very interesting that when he, he was talking, he talked about two paths that he took. And one was the intellectual, and one was the experiential. I mean he did mention this about science and it's hard to tell how far he went into studying all these things. But to me it seemed very experiential to me, his whole talk. Well throughout the whole thing.
1: I would agree with you, Terry. Yeah. And we probably should just start with this point. Both Rhett and Link come to faith through some sort of extreme revival that their church would do where they'd bring in this Scottish preacher that would lay it down hot and, yeah. you know and heavy. See, I found- And they really came to faith through fear.
0: I related to that. I really did. When he started talking about the tent revival meetings and stuff like that, that's what I grew up in. Mm. And I grew up in that fear and that shame kind of thing, which he talks about throughout the whole thing. And that had such an impact on him and ultimately him losing his faith. But that is a, a real interesting start to his faith.
1: You can see how formative- that experience yeah. was and is for him. I did not have that experience. I distinctly remember, and I've shared this in talks and books and whatnot, that for me, I remember one of the most spiritual experiences of my life was, you know, growing up in this broken family, realizing that this you know, life is just purposeless, just meaningless, and coming to my weightlifting coach in high school and thinking, you know, if there's anybody who's got life figured out, it's got to be this guy. Because he seems to be okay with doing these repetitive tasks, working out, and he somehow is finding meaning in all this. And, and I'll never forget, I go to my weightlifting teacher, it's a very vulnerable moment for me as I ask this guy, listen, do you think life has meaning? Where are you finding it? How do you find the energy to keep doing this repetitive task of living? And I'll never forget his answer as he told me, you know, Steiger, go to the bench, you know, put more weight on there and just go lift more. And I just, just so I just so remembered thinking, no, life's got to be more than this.
2: You must have felt so deflated. Like, here you are coming to him in your most vulnerable state, and he just shoots you right down. Like, Go put on more weight.
0: <laughs> he probably got bigger, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was able to bench press more. Okay, yes, good, 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 good. yes. But I didn't get any
1: closer to knowing why I existed <laughs> uh, and what this all was about. So it's interesting how you can kind of see that there's two ways of coming at this. One is they're deconstructing faith. For me, I was constructing faith. Steve, what about you? Where where do you fit in all this?
2: In some ways, I could really appreciate what they were saying. In, in other ways, no, because, again, my background is a little different. I grew up in a very devout Roman Catholic family, but there were certain things that I really resonated with. For example, I grew up with a lot of fear of hell. I still fear hell today, but the nature of this fear is different. Way back when I was younger, my fear of hell was, I don't want to be thrown into the fire. So it was a very kind of a selfish fear, if you will. But now I would like to think, at least, that my fear is in proportion to my love for God. Just as, you know, like I can't bear the thought of being separated from my daughter say, through a tragic car accident or something like that. I can't bear the thought of being separated from God. Maybe there is some selfishness in there still that, uh, you know, like I I just don't want to be miserable (laughs) because hell is that kind of a place. But I at least understand that the ideal is not just a fire insurance kind of a thing, but it's actually the idea of being separated from the one you love. That should be the basis for the fear that you have, and I think that's actually a healthy fear. Let's talk about that for a moment, Steve. This idea of hell, because
1: this comes up in both Red and Link's deconstruction, There's this idea of hell, and and you see this with other ideas as well. And this is one thing that's always bothered me with Christians, to be honest. Is as I come to faith, as I'm growing in my faith, as I'm reading the Bible, as I'm, and I don't want to pretend. By the way, like. Just to be clear, I was being taken to church by my mom. As my mom started to go to church, you know, she would bring me along. But like I said, I didn't even think to ask people at church as she first, you know, to, what's the purpose of life, anything like that. Like, it was interesting to me that being taken to church with her wasn't powerful to me at, at all. Watching her life change was powerful, And it wasn't until I started really questioning things and trying to find purpose and meaning then I began to pursue God because I was finding I couldn't answer those questions outside of God. Then I started caring more about church. And as I start reading more about God, as I start reading more about Jesus and all this stuff, then I come across things like hell. One of the things that going back to this idea that bothers me about Christians is oftentimes they'll come across theologies and they'll be bothered by a theology. But they will never take the time to actually think about that theology, or to actually get an accurate picture of that theology. And hell is just one of those, and it drives me crazy. And, and heaven too, by the way. Oftentimes Christians won't give much thought to what heaven is, and so Christians then have this very misconstrued, you know, simplistic, poor theology of what heaven is and what hell is. And they'll have these ideas that heaven is this place of golden streets. You know, where you get mansions. I honestly, when I first was becoming a Christian, that's the impression I was being given. As I'm like, okay, um, this is about going to some paradise and this is about getting like some mansion where I get the Lamborghini Countach I've always wanted, but I can't, you know, I don't have here. Is that what it's about? I think there's a lot of Christians. That's how they understand heaven. And there's a lot of Christians too that their understanding of hell is... It's this idea of this devil with a pitchfork that's got you in this burning lake, torturing you for for eternity. Neither of these, by the way, are a biblical concept of heaven or hell, and these are
2: cultural constructs that have informed, unfortunately, a lot of people's Mm -hmm. theology. Yeah, I I certainly grew up with a lot of those, seeing a lot of those paintings of hell, right? Uh, Of, you know, the red guys with horns and pitchforks and all that kind of stuff, so... I look back now and I understand, okay, what they're trying to convey is just how miserable it is. These paintings are not meant to give you a literal picture of what hell is like. And in fact, in the Bible, there are various different kinds of imageries that are used to portray hell. Well, to just jump in here, Steve, this
1: is one of the challenges that we find. And this is where people just have a really poor reading of literature, particularly the Bible, Though They'll apply literary techniques that they would never apply elsewhere, such that when Jesus speaks in metaphor, they'll take it literally. Again, it drives me crazy. He'll talk in metaphor in all sorts of ways that you won't take literally, and we've mentioned these before, such as calling himself a door and many other sorts of imagery that he uses. But then when he uses imagery to talk about heaven or hell, then all of a sudden we take that literally. And it's like, whoa, 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 you have to understand. And this is, this is something just to push on this because some people be like, oh, Andy, are you, you going that route because you're trying to downplay hell? No, I'm actually doing the opposite. He's using imagery because he doesn't have any other way to explain to you how horrible it is. And in fact, that it's worse than the imagery is. The imagery is only trying to help you to appreciate something that's beyond your appreciation. So that means then that heaven's greater than you can appreciate. Hell is worse than you can appreciate.
2: I I find it a bit ironic these days, you know, like I I look back to my Catholic upbringing and as I sort of hopped the Reformation fence and I find myself sort of in the evangelical camp these days. A lot of evangelicals are very insistent about reading the Bible literally. I don't necessarily have an issue with that. What I would caution people to do, though, is you gotta read stuff that is meant to be read literally literally if you start reading stuff that is not meant to be taken literally literally then you're doing a disservice like your hermeneutics is faulty in fact i find it ironic that many evangelicals who interpret the early chapters of genesis in a very literal way and they say you got to read the bible literally i'm just like okay hang on a second you don't read the bible literally enough do you know who reads the bible even more literally at one point is the catholics because they will take what Jesus said about his body and blood very seriously. This is my body. This is my blood. Yeah. If you don't subscribe to transubstantiation, the doctrine that these elements, the bread and the wine, are the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, then you don't read the Bible as
1: literally as you think you are. So let me jump in here and apply this then, Steve. And by the way, here's just one modern example. Ironically enough, flat earth thing We've always had conspiracy theorists from aliens to, you know, the lunar landing and whatever. Now, flat earth is getting brought into that. And there's a lot of Christians, sadly. I think I shared last time on the podcast, I was watching one of these YouTube videos with my kids. Two of the three were Christians and they held to flat earth. Why? Because they were taking the Bible literally. Now, I want you to think about this though for a moment. Imagine you grew up in a family of flat earthers that told you your whole life that the world was flat and you grew up believing that. And then all of a sudden you go to school and, you know, you start studying things. You go on a plane trip, for goodness sake. You start to see globes. You get the idea. You come to the conclusion that it's actually a globe. And so what's the conclusion from that? Oh, the Christianity is false, right? And I think that that's the logic that a lot of people go through. Oh, I've been told this. I come to realize that's not true. And so it's, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I guess, instead of going, hey, wait a minute, maybe... What I've been being told about the flat earth is not correct. Maybe they're not actually reading the Bible correctly. This is something that I had to go through, where I would hear a theology or I'd hear something and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to look into that. And, and I'm going to see, you know, what was Jesus saying? And what does he mean by this? Should I be taking that literally? Where Here's what I'm getting at as I began to realize as I was reading theology is that relationship is key to everything Jesus is doing. It's key to his understanding of heaven, being in relationship with God. It's key in his understanding of hell, not being in relationship with God. And I started realizing that, listen, these are important realities that exist now. You can begin to experience heaven and hell now. These aren't realities you have to wait for until you die. You can begin to experience the brokenness of this world right now. And that was something I had a healthy dose of as a child. And I wanted to know if there was something more than that. I wanted to know if this was just a broken world or if there was good. And I began to pursue Jesus and brought me to this place where I began to realize, no, I can experience heaven now. As I begin to live in relationship with God, as God lives in me, as God lives through me, that this is a reality I don't have to wait for. This is a reality I can begin to experience now. Now, I want to throw one other thing in here, though, because this began to rock my faith early on as a young man, as I first started really going to church, right? At first, my mom was coming to faith, and she brought me to church. When I came to faith, I went to church. Big difference between that. And as I started to attend church, one of the first things I remember is the young adult pastor at the church I was attending left his wife for one of the young adults in that church whom he's still married to to this day, from what I understand. So, I see this, right? Here's a guy I respected, following God, leaves his wife and kids, and goes after this young girl, and I'm now left to wrestle with that. And I saw, I've seen so many people throw their faith away at that point. They'd be like, oh, well, it's just, this, this isn't real. But again, that was one of those moments for me where I had to roll up my sleeves and go, wait a minute, is my faith based on this pastor's faith? It's the same experience that I'd had when I'd come across people's doctrines, right? And where I'd go, wait a minute, I'm actually gonna go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about this. I'm actually gonna take time to actually research what, what is the theology around this? And and do we have do, do we have this correct?
0: So unfortunately, they want to let go of this idea of hell, right? That's the terminology he uses in the...
1: It's one of the things that they want to let go of.
0: Yeah, one of the things. But it's interesting what they come to in the end is like, basically, they don't want to judge anybody or condemn anybody. This idea of hell is too harsh Mm. for people.
1: Terry, I think that you make a, a really good point here, that you see this movement that it's more than just hell this is this kind con- this concept with them that you see throughout their story is that they don't they don't want to judge people and you see this with more not just with religions because they're they're quite pluralistic in their idea this idea that you know hey there's lots of religions out there and hey lots of people have religious experiences and so they don't want to disqualify that in fact they don't even disqualify christian experiences they are quite comfortable to say yeah i think you do have and have had an experience in your Christian faith and that it's been really meaningful and changed your life. But then they'll just say, but that doesn't mean that it's true. Before we continue, a message from Andy. Hi, everyone. This is Andy Steiger. I wanted to let you know that the 10th Annual Apologetics Canada Conference was a great success and that the conference recordings are now available. The recordings not only have all the sessions from the conference, including all the breakout sessions, but some bonus material as well. We have included a special class that Daryl Bach taught for us and Wesley Huff about how we got the Bible and can we trust the Bible. To purchase and download the recordings, go to ApologicsCanada.com.
0: And now, back to the podcast.
1: Hey, listen, guys, as we talk about Link's story, the, the aspect of his story that I find the most disheartening and the part that I think that really needs to be thought about is... The influences in your life. It's interesting as you listen to both their stories, both their wife and their family or kids stop attending church. This was true of both Rhett and Link.
0: This friendship between Rhett and Link is so strong. It goes back right to their childhood, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, he followed suit. They talk about their discussions all the time, but I felt that. The influence that Rhett had on Link was really, really big.
1: Yeah, his, his influence on him was intense. Intense, yeah. Yeah, so what you find then is that this is all linked. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where this actually it begins- It was just a link in the chain? <laughs> <laughs> Where you begin, this actually begins with Rhett. It it doesn't begin with Link, but so it begins with Rhett and then Rhett's wife leaves the faith, then Link leaves the faith, then Link's wife Wife. leaves the faith. I want to play you a clip of this because this is at the very end and I think this is very powerful and worth thinking about.
3: I also wonder if people's takeaway is, you know, like, Dang, Lincoln! If it was not for Rhett, you might you might be in a better place. You know, it's like <laughs> man, he really brought you down. You know, uh, it's absolutely true that you know, and that I wouldn't I wouldn't have been grappling with these issues. I, I don't. I I, can, I I probably wouldn't have been grappling with the issues. I probably wouldn't have done it. You know, because as 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 a hard time as I was having, I still didn't want. It, you know it was still ultimately this so very safe for me and i and i really need that um but i'm very grateful that 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 your personality is different than mine in that way that it was my active choice at every turn to actively engage in the discussion and i didn't you know we shared so so much of our lives and our spiritual journey was so similar that we we had the exact same language and so many of the same experiences. We went on all the same church trips and we were partied all the same prayer groups. And, you know, so whenever I really benefited and kind of I hacked the system in a lot of ways, I feel like, yes, I trusted you, but it was almost like trusting y- your response to it was very trustworthy as my own response because our, our journeys were so in lockstep. And then I, but I, there was pivotal points all along the way when I would have to pick up those books and read them. It wasn't just the Francis Collins one, because it started to get real. And it was like, I got to read this stuff for myself. Um, I, I'll, that'll transition to my, well, I'll let, I'll let you respond to that, because I think that people might say it's your fault. Um, it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think when you came across that portion?
0: When they were talking, he admits the influence that Red had on him. But then he jumps to the other side of him making the choice. And it just didn't seem like a fair jump. There was so much influence like you were talking about that we have on our, on people and other people have on us. It seemed like it was an easy, easy way to come to where he is now with the influence that he had.
1: Mm -hmm. It seems that there's this interesting balancing act that takes place between being a positive influence in somebody's life and being a negative Mm. influence in in people's lives. I I have had plenty of people in my life that have been a positive influence and plenty that have been a a negative. When it comes to Rhett, it's difficult to say, okay, Mm -hmm. was he being a positive influence or was he being a negative influence? Rhett was wrestling with his faith, it just so happened he brought Link into that wrestling match.
0: Right. I mean, they talk about him just wanting somebody to talk to, and he was the most accessible person Link was, right? And so maybe it was natural to do that. And he did have genuine questions, for
1: sure. The reason I think it's so important that we bring this up is... I think it's helpful, and this I actually appreciate about them bringing this up. A lot of people want to make Christianity just so simple and so clean. And one thing I do appreciate about their deconstruction stories is it's just a good reminder for people that faith is messy, that there's evidence that's being talked about here, but as links story really unfolds, you begin to see that the evidence, he nods to it, but in the end, it's really not the evidence. He talks about compelling it's relationship. evidence. Yeah. It, he
0: talks about compelling evidence, but I was really disappointed. Like, this is a story that he's telling, but he never brings up any of those convincing elements that brought him to this point where he is now. I found that very frustrating.
1: Well, this is something that I think we have to appreciate is that relationships have a lot of influence on us. They have influence on Link, but they have influence on each one of us. Uh, And I have known plenty of people that have come to faith through relationship, and I've known many people who've left faith because of relationship. And One of the things that's important then to remind us is, and I see this often particularly in the construction of faith, is somebody might come to faith through a relationship, but there comes this day where if that faith is going to grow or be strong at any level, where it's going to need to have some sort of foundation to it. If your foundation is just an experiential foundation, uh, it can be a very weak foundation. I don't want to say that it Necessarily is a weak foundation, to just be honest, my wife has never had a strong intellectual faith in the sense of you know rigorous argumentation is the you know the reason why she came to faith or is staying in faith uh th- that that's not been her case, and I'd say my mom too that's definitely not the case uh with my mom either so i don't I don't know that I would want to say that that's necessary, but you'll often see though that uh, especially in a pluralistic culture, in a culture of construction and deconstruction stories, and, and you start to see that people are having experiences in other religions. So what do you do with that? Uh, you start to realize that maybe experience
2: and relationship can only take me so far. I mean, relationship is has certainly been influential for me, personally, when I was You know, trying to figure all of these things out. It was in the context of relationship that I was able to start digging into, you know, evidences for Christianity or, you know, how do I interpret the Bible? All that kind of stuff, right? And quite honestly, I look back and I go, if I hadn't had the relationship that I did, I don't think I would be a Christian today. At the same time, my faith isn't dependent on that, people will disappoint you all the time and you hear stories of people like you mentioned andy right the the pastor who left the faith for that young adult kind of thing and so i think relationship is absolutely good for the growth of your faith strengthening of your faith but it can't be the foundation which your whole faith rests on again people will disappoint you I know this might sound weird, guys, but this is something that's been a huge encouragement
1: to me uh, as a pastor that has walked with a number of people that, you know, have come to faith and have left the faith. I've seen a lot of both. And in the end, my faith isn't dependent on those people. Listen, I celebrate with those who come to faith, and I mourn for those who walk away from the faith, but in the, in the end, neither of those people uh, affect my faith. Uh, and this has always brought me a lot of comfort that my faith is mine, and I hold on to that faith dearly, and I nurture that faith. I know that can maybe seem kind of weird. I don't know how you guys process that, but as I've walked with people and seen these deconstruction stories, it's just always this moment like, oh, I'm so glad that my faith is mine, and their their story is not going to take my faith, and I'm going to continue to roll up my sleeves and do the hard work of making sure that I have the truth, where I am reading the Bible, doing the hard work of making sure I'm reading it correctly, and making sure I'm doing the hard work of understanding my theology correctly, and how that theology works, and that I'm applying that to my life as I'm walking with the Lord. One of the things I think is interesting that you see coming out in Link's story so often is that Link, and this is one of the... I think one of the major points of his whole deconstruction story is that he never felt that he could be a good Christian. He always felt subpar. And I think there's a lot of people that can relate with that. They just can never live up to this. And we get this all the time, don't we? Are you doing your devotions, right? How many times you praying, Terry, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm deep in in Terry's soul right now, (laughs) eye to eye, baby. Looking right at me, staring me down. (laughs) We all get this, though, right, where, man, we love to just heap on these sorts of ideas of, okay, are you a good Christian? And what does it look like to be you know, a good Christian? And you can see this with Link, man. This really came to the point, I think, for him when he left the faith. I think there was actually a burden released from Link. But this burden wasn't put on him by Jesus. Right. He allowed other other people people to put this burden on him. It's interesting because it reminds me of Matthew when Jesus says, you know, calls people, hey, are you weary and heavy laden? You know, come follow come follow me. As Jesus is calling people to follow him instead of getting caught up in all of these rules. Man, there's let me just break this down with three of you guys real quick here. One of the things I find so frustrating about trying to talk about this deconstruction faith, I don't know about you guys, but I find this so so difficult to do so in a timely manner. I mean, I just feel like there's so many rabbit trails I want to chase down. For listeners, you know that Rhett and Leek talk about. I want to want to chase down all of these different paths that they open up that we just don't have time to do. I don't have time to go down uh, all these different paths. I don't have time to nuance everything that that we're talking about here. Uh, and so I I often leave uh, a podcast like this a little bit frustrated because I never feel like I've done the listener the kind of service I want to do for the listener. And and you you realize is that faith is a journey. And it's a lifelong journey. I guess if I could just end with something, I think we need to draw this to a conclusion. I'd love to just end by saying this. As a young man looking for purpose in the world, not finding it, particularly not finding it in my coach, not finding it in a world devoid of God, not finding it in a world that's been reduced to just physical parts following physical laws, not finding it, when I came to Christ and when I found hope and love and peace, when I found purpose, when I began to do the hard work of reading the Bible and looking into what was actually written, what did Jesus say, what is this theology, what is this philosophy, how does this incorporate with science, As I began to do the hard work of growing in my faith that meant going off to college and doing a BA and a master's degree. And now here I am at the end of a PhD. And at the end of this journey, as my faith has been constructed and constructed, I am so thankful to be a Christian. I love Jesus now more than I've ever loved Jesus. Listening to these deconstruction stories saddens me deeply because I see what they've lost, because I can see what I've gained. My faith has only grown stronger My foundation has only grown stronger, and I am so incredibly thankful for the person that God has been making me into and continues to make me into, that my faith both is an intellectual faith and is an experiential faith, and these two work in tandem with one another. Listen, this is my faith that I will continue to nurture till the day I meet my maker face to face.
0: Thank you for joining us, listeners. The AC Podcast is the Ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more things to think about.